Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson is coming from the first chapter, first verse of Philippians. If you want to take notes uh, or if you want to follow along with the reading, I want to encourage you to open up your device. And there's a section both where the scripture passage that we will be meditating on in our sermon this morning is found and also a space for you to take notes if you would like. So thank you again for all of you for being here, for all of you who are online watching at home with us. Grace and mercy to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 83 days, 23 hours, and 20 minutes. That is how long this family of believers has not been gathering in person. It was 12 weeks or 83 days and 23 hours ago that you and I were gathered here together. We worshiped together. We packed up the trailer and then we went home and we stayed safer at home, not knowing that it would be 83 days and 23 hours until we were back here again together. And I don't mean to downplay the seriousness of the cautiousness that that we ought to show uh, with everything still going on with coronavirus But let me just say that I am stoked to be back here. I'm very, very, very excited to be back here with all of you. And I know that we worship in a gymnasium. I know that sometimes it smells like sweat. I know that you are all wearing masks and I never thought that I'd be preaching to a group of people who I could only see their eyes shift back and forth. But it's happening and you're here and I'm really, really glad for it because I rejoice. I rejoice with those who say, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's worship there. Let's praise God there. Let's gather around his word. Let's get together around his sacraments and receive from him all of the forgiveness, all of the hope, all of the comfort, all of the joy, all the grace and all of the peace that God gives there. Now I'm gonna be selfish for a second. I'm glad you're here because I love to preach. I love to share the love of Jesus with all of you. And I love to share it with you face to face. I was getting a little sick of sharing it with just to a camera lens. And so I'm so glad that you are here this morning. I'm so glad that many of you are worshiping with us online at home. But here we are. After 83 days, 23 hours, and now 22 minutes, we're back again. What do you say? I mean, what do you say? What can I say on a very special, a historic, and a most holy day like today? Where do you begin? Do we talk about what God's word has to say about coronavirus? Do we talk about how believers have the word of God as our anchor and hope during uncertain times? Is that what we talk about? What do you say? Do we talk about what we've experienced over the last 12 weeks, how God's people were distancing from one another, and that is a good thing for health reasons, but there are some very serious dangers to that, spiritually speaking. It's, it's Satan who wants us to not be together, who wants us to not gather together around his word and sacraments. And so this was a really good time for the prince of this world. Do we talk about what God's word has to say about that? 
I think it was maybe 60 days, maybe two months ago, that I thought I'd be standing here and trying to tie some kind of cultural reference into the Tiger King, but now who even talks about that or remembers that anymore? What do we say? Do we talk about the tragic and the unjust deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and what God's word has to say about that? What do we say? Do we talk about how Christians are most of all of all people qualified to talk about issues of race because we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in the gospel that says there is neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Do we talk about what scripture has to say about that? Do we talk about what scripture most definitely has to say about how two wrongs, two sins never make something right? We can say that. We can talk about all those things. So where do we start? What do we say on a day like today? We're starting a brand new sermon series. It's called Joy, and it's going to go through every verse in the book of Philippians. And what you're going to see, what you're going to see if you stick with us over the course of the next eight weeks is that God shows us in this book how we can have constant joy. You and I can have constant joy in life because of Christ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing in life, whether you're experiencing harmony or you are experiencing confrontation, you can have joy. It doesn't matter if you're experiencing true happiness or if you're experiencing true depression. Philippians is going to show you, you you can have joy. It doesn't matter if you're in need and you or you're content. Philippians is going to talk about how joy is yours in Christ. That's the book that we're going to get into. That's the book that's going to speak to so much of what we're going through. And to set up our sermon series today, there's so much I could tell you about the book of Philippians, about the place of Philippi. I could tell you about how Paul on his second missionary journey there never wanted to go there. In fact, he had plans to go somewhere else, but the spirit of the Lord actually stopped him, sent him a vision and said, no, go to Philippi. I could tell you all about the city and how Acts told us it was a leading city in the province of Rome. And the reason was because what happened when uh, military veterans of the Roman guard retired, they were given chunks of land in Philippi. And this was a really good thing for retired Roman soldiers because it meant they got land. And it also was a good thing for the Roman government because it meant they had diehard supporters throughout the Roman world. We could talk about that. We could also talk about when Paul wrote this letter. We could talk about that it was at the end of a two-year house arrest that he experienced in Rome for doing what else but preaching the gospel. There's a lot we could say about this book, and there's a lot we will say, don't worry, over the course of the next eight weeks about this book. But if there's one thing that you take away about Philippians— today and and really hold on to and remember throughout the rest of our sermon series called Joy, I want you to take this away. The holy words written in Philippians are not just words placed in a vacuum. They are not just a sacred text without context. No, quite the opposite. What you have in Philippians is 
a very personal letter, a very personal letter written by a very real person to other very real persons who are dealing with some very real stuff in life. Things just like what you and I are going through. I mean, listen, did you know there's this guy in Philippi and in the book of Philippians, his name is Epaphroditus. And he is the one who actually took a, a care package, a offering from Philippi to Rome to give to Paul while he was in house arrest. And he had plans to stay there, to do ministry there with Paul. But guess what? He got sick. He got so sick actually that he was going to die but he didn't. God, God, of course, saved him. God, of course, blessed him with full health. But you want to talk about fears of sickness? Then Epaphroditus goes back to the congregation in Philippi. You want to talk about some unique uh, social economic dynamics in a congregation in a city? You heard Acts 16 before. Did you hear who the first three founding members were in the congregation? The first one was a woman, a business owner who was 1,970 years ahead of her time. The second was a slave girl. And the third was a police officer, a jailer. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. These were the founding members in Philippi. These were the people to whom Paul is writing. And I got to mention two more because we're going to talk about them today. There's two ladies in this congregation and their names are Euodia and uh, I got to look that up because it's harder to say. That's her name for sure. And the second one is Sintishi. <laughs> Names for your babies at home. Yoida and Sintishi. And these are women who love their church. They love their God. They love their city, but they're not loving each other. In fact, they have a vehement disagreement with one another. And that's why Paul calls them out in this letter because he's asking congregation leaders, brothers and sisters in Christ to help them reconcile with one another. Those are the real people who have real lives and real stuff going on in their lives to whom Paul is writing to. So what do you say? (laughs) What do you say to open up a letter, a sermon to all of them? Well, what we're going to look at today is actually two verses, which is really just one sentence. And we're going to look at this one sentence that has a way of cutting through all of the noise and focusing both the Philippians and us on what's truly important. This is Paul's letter. It's Philippians chapter one. I want to invite you to open up your devices or your Bibles to it. We're going to read the first two verses. Paul's very personal, very pastoral letter to very real people at Philippi begins this way. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Paul and Timothy, because Timothy was a pastor there too. But just Paul, that's all he says. I mean, he leaves off all the titles. He leaves off all of the authoritarian, carrying, weighty titles that Paul usually sometimes opens his letters up with. I mean, here's what Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians start like. Paul, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, but of God. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Sometimes when Paul opens up his letters, he starts out with very weighty, very carefully chosen titles to convey to the people he's writing to just who he was so they don't forget he is the chosen apostle of God. But not here, not in this letter. It's just Paul. (laughs) And maybe (laughs) that's worth mentioning because that's how I want to start out this series and start out this sermon. I haven't seen most of you for 12 weeks, 83 days, 23 hours, and 31 minutes. That's a long time. And yes, sometimes I write emails to you. I don't think I ever use Reverend Rothy, but sometimes Pastor Rothy or Pastor Matt. But can we just do no titles today <laughs> and, and just talk as friends about what God's word has to say? Because here's why. There, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot going on in our community. There's a lot going on in the news. And I'm certain of this. There's a lot going on inside of you. But what I really want to tell you this morning is not about what is inside of you, but who. And that's what Paul gets to in the very next phrase. Paul addresses his friends, and and let me address you this way. He says, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Did you catch that? You're just at Fredericksburg or Falmouth or Stafford or Spotsy. You're just at those places. Those places are not what you are in, and those places are not in you, but you are in Christ. What I'm saying to you is that you are a part. You are not just part. Let me fix my words there. You are in a greater reality. You are in Christ Jesus. And that means you're not in a pandemic. That means you're not in a place of worry. That means you are not in a hyper-politicized place. That means you are not in a movement. You are not in fear. You are not in sickness and you are not in worry because you are in Christ. I'm trying to open your eyes to see this, that you are a part, you are in a greater reality and it's not where you're at. It's who's in you. You are in Christ Jesus and that makes you God's holy people in him, through him. He is the one who came from heaven and earth and through his, your baptism, his baptism, united you to him. And so he'll never leave you. He is the one who promises you that no matter where you go in life, he is walking with you all the way. He's the one who promises you that there's nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus because he is in you. That is who you are. God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ is in you. And that's why Paul goes on to say, and I, Matt, say to you, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Fredericksburg, Spotsy, or wherever you are watching this online, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. (laughs) Do you know what those things to you from your God and your Father and your Lord Jesus Christ mean? (laughs) Grace to you means that God gives and gives and gives to you (laughs) and he expects nothing. He needs nothing in return. Grace means that God loves you even when you are unlovable. And grace messes us up 
because grace is completely unfair. It's completely backwards. It's completely different compared to us and the way we think and the way we measure worth and accountability and things that we do and accomplishments in this world. Nothing that we do merits grace. God just gives it. He gives it all to you. And what he does, it seems, at least to people who look at the world this way, is he gives it to the worst of sinners. He gives it to the least of sinners. But what grace does, it completely turns upside down the ideas of equality, the ideas of fairness, because it is grace. It is God's and he gives it and he gives it and he gives it some more. And he gives it and it has an effect on a people. It has effect on the people of God who are chosen in him because what this is, is God's love, foolproof, top shelf goodness that he serves to you neat. He serves it to you in such a way where it is not watered down and is not mixed with anything else. And if comparisons of the gospel to bourbon make you uncomfortable, let me just add this in. (laughs) That grace is this. Grace is not good advice for good people who are trying to get better. Grace is good news for bad people who are wrestling with the daily reminder that they mess up and they can't do good no matter how hard they try. That is to you. Grace is to you in the name of your heavenly Father and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And not only that, but so is peace. Peace is to you. And if God's grace, if God's, God's undeserved love is the way he looks at you, peace is the effect that his love has on you. <laughs> if grace is the way that God looks on you and, and brings you into an eternal life with him, well, peace is the thing that fixes your life. It is God's love enacted in your life. Can I borrow a phrase? Can I borrow a phrase and take it captive to Christ? It's a phrase that you may have heard unless you've been living without the internet for the last week or two or the last two years. The phrase is this, no justice, no peace. It's a phrase that many, many protesters and crowds and people have chanted. There's a point to what they're saying, but let me take it captive to Christ. And and you'll see what happens is that phrase gets completely flipped. And not just completely flipped, but the problem that is behind that phrase, well, gets fixed. Because you can K-N-O-W justice and you can K-N-O-W peace with God and only with him. And here's why. It's because God has a legal system. He has a judiciary system. He says the soul who sins is the one who will die. He says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And at the very same moment that he says that, Christ steps in and he says, that's why I was born. He says, I was born for sinners. I was born for those who have perpetrated sin. And I've been been born to die because of sin. You see, God died not only for perpetrators of sin, but also for victims of sin. And he rose again. And that means both people who do sins and both people who have had sins done to them have been forgiven by the guilt and shame brought on by sin. And not just that, not just that, God also in Christ totally fixes 
the legal system. He totally fixes the judiciary system that he's a part of. And now we can K-N-O-W justice and K-N-O-W peace because we know the S-O-N, son of God, that is shining forth in our life. And that is peace. That is the radiance in our life. That is the thing that puts us in life and makes us feel our souls at rest, makes our souls, the muscles of our souls feel relaxed, makes the tension of our souls release because we are standing before him and we have peace before God. Do you understand what that does in life? That means that in this world, God's love, his grace to you, well, has an effect. It means that you can withstand anything that's wrong. It means that you can stand up for everything that's right because Christians, Christian people are in a world in which they have a higher judiciary system and a deeper love than this world ever knows because they have a peace that is wider, higher, longer, and deeper and transcends all human understanding and is guarding your hearts and minds. How? Through Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's grace. That's peace. And all of that and more is yours from God, your Father, and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of, uh, I guess, my favorite pastors and someone who I want to be like when I grow up, uh, I recently heard him say that when he's counseling people or, or talking to people who are going through a difficult time or who are just struggling with any, any pain in life, he often, after listening to them, and hearing what it is in life that's, that's bothering them or troubling he'll just look at them and he'll say, grace and peace. He'll say to them, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what he'll do is he'll watch. He'll watch as they completely physically relax on the outside, but you and I know and he knows that what's going on inside it's not just a physical or an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. <laughs> the grace and peace to you from God, your Father, and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, well, they mean something. They do something. I mean, we're going to look at a couple people from the congregation in Philippi, and we're going to look at our congregation and ask, grace and peace, what do they do? I mean, think about Epaphroditus, the man who was sick, the man who almost lost his life. And he had people in his congregation who cared about his well-being and they also cared about their well-being when he returned again. What did grace and peace mean to them? What did grace and peace mean to a group of Christians gathering together for the first time during a global pandemic? Grace means that well, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness for all of the times that you and I doubted that God was ever in control. There's grace for all of us and patience in that grace for all of the times where, well, we get frustrated and impatient that the world and our lives isn't going on the way that we had hoped. There's peace knowing that even if I get sick, even if my family gets sick, even if there's an outbreak in my community, that the Lord of all holds me in his hands. <laughs> That's peace. That's grace to you from God, your Father, and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What did grace and what did peace mean when the jailer at, the Philipp at Philippi was reading the letter of Philippians? I mean, you heard about this guy before. He was not a man at peace. 
Why? He wrestled with some emotional and mental demons because he was a failure. As soon as he failed at his job, what did he do? He took out his sword and he almost ran himself through until he was shown grace. I mean, can I, can I just tell you something about this jailer at Philippi? We read it in Acts chapter 16, but, but maybe you missed it. This is the guy who would torture people and then go home and eat dinner with his kids. He beat and flogged these men, and then he put them in stocks. And that's not just like a comfy bed. What that is is stretching people's hands out and their feet out so that they sat and laid uncomfortably on the ground all night. There was a reason why Paul and Silas were up singing during the night. It wasn't because they just wanted to. It was because they couldn't sleep. This is him. This is the sinner to whom grace was showed. An earthquake happens, and what what do Paul and Silas do? Do they run for it? No, they show grace to someone who didn't deserve it. They showed love to someone who most certainly did not deserve their love, but that is what grace is. They said to him, they said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. That grace brought peace to the jailer. He asked, what must I do to be saved? Their answer, nothing, nothing but believe. Believe that salvation has been won for you. Believe that grace has been shown to you. And do you see what happened? In an ironic twist, it wasn't merely Paul and Silas who were freed from prison, but the jailer was freed. The jailer who was imprisoned by peacelessness and restlessness of his soul was freed. He was freed because of the grace and the peace from God, your father and your Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. It was shown to him and it changed him. It changed his entire household. I know, I know that there's people here. I know that there's people watching at home. I know because it happens to all of us that we are imprisoned by things in our life that make us restless and make us feel that we are peaceless. What does grace and peace mean to you? Grace means that no matter what you have done, no matter how far you have strayed, no matter how long you've been away, Christ is there with his open arms welcoming you back. Peace means that you do not need to perform or do anything to be right before God or be right before any of us as well because what peace does is it brings you wholeness and completeness in Jesus Christ, your Lord. That's what grace and peace do to people who are in prison. It sets them free. Here's another one. You remember the congregation at Philippi? Remember who the first two founders of the congregation were? <laughs> you remember the city of Philippi, what it was made of? 50% of the people in Philippi were former Roman military officers. <laughs> the first two founders of the church at Philippi, one was a woman named Lydia. The other was a slave girl. <laughs> just, just picture them all standing around together after church, getting coffee. <laughs> Picture this group of three together hanging out on a Friday night at their life group, talking about the letter and the sermon that Paul had written them. Think about them thinking about chapter two and going through that and hearing that in Christ, they are to consider others better than themselves. <laughs> what do you think grace and peace did to them? <laughs> what do you think grace and peace did 
to people like that, to people who had, had a temptation to define themselves by their earthly citizenship, whether because they were super proud of their Roman citizenship or rather because of they were forced into a certain role in society. Think about that. They define themselves that way and there's a temptation to see themselves that way. But what did grace and peace do to them? Well, it reminded them of their heavenly citizenship. It reminded undeserving sinners that a God came to them unforced, unasked, and unearned and brought us all together and made us all one in Christ. That is what the love of God does. Do you think it had an effect on them and it reshaped and it reframed the way that they saw themselves in relation to one another and the world at large? And now let's, let's be honest, our congregation at Fredericksburg is really much alike the congregation in Philippi. A quick count showed that it is somewhere around half, at least half of the individuals in our congregation have had a career in the military. And then there's the other half that come from entirely different walks of life. And that is our congregation. And it's 100% made up of a group of Christian people who all love the country they live in and the freedoms that God give us in this country. What does grace and what does peace do to a group of people living here? What does grace and peace do to people who deal with the same temptation to define ourselves by our earthly citizenship instead of live by the fact that we are citizens in heaven? changes the way we look at everything. Jesus in, in John chapter 13 said this, as I have loved you, so you love, must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They will know that we are Christians, that we are a Christian family. How? Not by deflecting or defending or arguing, not by saying silent when people with voiceless uh, voices in our society, whether it's blacks or unborn babies or homeless people or still today women want to say something. That's not how they know that we are Christ's disciples. How do people know Christ's disciples? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, People know Christ. People know the grace and the peace that Christ gives when we show love to one another, when we model the grace and peace that has been shown to us and the love that moved us to live in a world that is far different in citizenship that we have in heaven. One more. How do you think grace and peace affected the relationship of Euoida and Syntyche? Two women who really disagreed with one another. What did grace and peace do to them? Let me ask it this way. <laughs> I know for a fact that there's people who think we waited far too long to open up worship here at The Way. And there's other people who disagree and think we should have waited a lot longer. <laughs> I know that there's people who disagree here today about whether or not we should wear masks or give hugs. And there's people at home who are not here because they disagree about with the people here about wearing masks or giving hugs. <laughs> and there's people who disagree about everything. There's people who here will say, I've said way too much in terms of things that seem political or seem to deal with race. And there's people here who would disagree with that and say, I haven't said enough. So I guess in a way we're back at the beginning what do you say? 
What do you say to a group of people in real life who are dealing with so many very real things in their own lives? I don't always know what to say. I don't always know what to say about coronavirus and the future. I don't know what the future of our worship will be like even a month from now, much less a year from now. I don't know what to say when it comes to things that seem political or things that deal with the racial situation that is going on in our United States. I don't know what to say. But I do know what to say about this. Once upon a time, there was a very real person who wrote a letter to a group, to a group of Christians, and he was dealing with a very real pain and a real struggle in his life. And when he did, he prayed to God that he would take it away. And you want to know what God said to him? This is Paul. This is God talking to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is enough. You want to know what Paul said to that? Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardships, and in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know where that attitude, you know where that kind of faith got Paul? Well, it landed him in prison. For over two years, it landed him in prison in Rome, where a group of people called the Philippians, reached out to him with an offering and and Paul wrote a thank you letter back. And after hearing from Epaphroditus all that was going on in their lives, he he wondered, what should we say? What what do you say to all of that? But by God's grace, inspired by his spirit, he knew grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know what to say. You know what to say to me. You know what to say to each other. You know what to say to your neighbors. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. I don't think it's any surprise that after saying grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul follows that up by saying this. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. They had joy in life because of God's grace and peace. You have joy in life because of God's grace and peace. And that's why whenever I remember you and whenever I get to see you, it's with joy because we have joy in life. Amen.